The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 14, The Monthly Mash with Andrew Roberts. Welcome to The Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and on this episode, it is our monthly mash, and we have our usual co-host, Andrew Roberts. Welcome, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe, once again. It's always a good time to talk about anything golf or just anything going on. Yeah. Why don't we just first start off with uh, how you've been? You've been uh, playing a lot of golf. I know you're, last time we talked, you're working towards probably... Pro- probably playing in uh like some amateur arizona amateurs or so, something along those lines coming up in a couple yeah, of months i'm still kind of debating 50 50 um I, do i think i could play sure um am i going to play maybe yeah there's a amateur northern amateur up in sedona at uh oak creek country club which is a robert trent jones senior junior golf course which is part of the reason i want to play because um, in this area, it's probably one of the better golf courses. Um, and obviously, Robert Trent Jones Senior Junior, we've talked about him. Uh, uh, great course designer. So um, I feel like my game could compete. Um, I'm just trying to weigh everything out if I want to do it or if I want to play starting next year because, you know, uh, the practice I'm working in, we're pretty busy with stuff. Um, but I, I, I mean, I am playing on the weekends. I'm really working on distance control with my wedges uh i have a 50 54 58 that i got at the beginning of the year Voki sm8s love them um i'm biased towards titles Voki wedges but there's also you know cleveland and, and callaway um are, are really good brands too so uh check those out obviously make an informed decision see a club fitter see what you need uh that's just feeling that but really been working on that working on chipping putting um and then just keeping the long game just fairly steady because that seems to be the best. Nice. I've been working on trying to strike my irons a little bit better. That usually seems to be where my game falls apart is like my approach shot. And then I just waste strokes there basically. So I've been working on trying to hit them a little bit more clean, which has been going pretty good. Uh, but yeah, just trying to change my grip a little bit as well, which has been helping and just grinding it out basically. Yeah, it's the fun thing about golf is it, it there's always something you can work on and improve and it never changes. I mean, but that's obviously trying to get better in a sport or even for the high level professional athletes, they're always trying to do something. So, um, and that's why they have like swing coaches and short game and putting coaches and a bunch of other things. So, you know, that's just why they want to get better. That's right. Well, we are today is Friday. Uh, second round of the Northern Trust just finished. This will be released after the Northern Trust is done this upcoming Tuesday. But, you know, Scotty Shuffler just shot a 59 a day. DJ shot a 27 on the front nine and ended with a 60. What do you think is going on at the Northern Trust? Who do you like? Who do you like to win? And then how about who do you like for the FedEx Cup just in overall? Uh, well, first off, I mean, Congrats to Scotty Scheffler shooting a, a 12 under 59. That's a par 71 
Um, they're playing at the TPC Boston. Remember, this used to be where the Deutsche Bank Championship was, then known as the Dell Technologies Championship, when they had four uh, playoff events. Uh, they had the Northern Trust, the Dell Technologies Championship, um, the BMW and the Tour Championship. Now they only have three events. So TPC Boston is a part of the rotation in the Northern Trust with some other ones in the Northeast. Um, as far as who I like, I think DJ's in a great, great position. Remember, he won the Travelers Championship um, after the restart, a couple weeks after the restart. Uh, had a great chance at the PGA a couple weeks ago and couldn't get it done on Sunday. Um, that's kind of been a knock on him. You know, if you remember the 2015 U.S. Open, he had one putt to win, two putts to tie to get into the playoff with Jordan Speed, three putts to lose, and he ended up three-putting uh, from 20 feet. So it was just kind of a heartbreaker. But then the next year, he ends up winning the U.S. Open at Oakmont in 2016. So I really like DJ this weekend. Uh, TPC Boston is a course you kind of got to maneuver around. Um, and all these players that have played in the FedEx Cup for several years are very familiar with this course because of the Dell Technologies Championship or the Deutsche Bank, whatever you remember um, it as. But I think DJ has been a good position with this game for about a month, month and a half. So I think he's probably the guy at the Northern Trust. Um, it's There's not going to be a Hail Mary story like last week with Jim Herman, even though Jim Herman had two PGA Tour events. Uh, that he's won before then, shoot 61-63. Someone could come out and shoot a low number, but TPC Boston, you kind of got to plot your way around a little bit. But it's a it's a really good course. Players really love it. Um, as far as winning the FedEx Cup, I don't know. I like Justin Thomas this year. Justin Thomas has done an outstanding job. He won the CJ Cup, you know, obviously in Korea. Um, and he's won a couple other events that kind of slipped my mind right now. Um, he almost won the workday championship in a playoff, you know, um, you know, had a okay showing at the PGA, but he's been in form all year. He's been outstanding. He ascended to number one in the world for a little bit. I can't remember if he's number one or number two. He's around there. Um, but he's done a very good job. A dark horse for me is Colin Morikawa, the winner of the PGA championship last week. I believe he's in second or third. So, conceivably, he could just kind of plot his way along these first two playoff events and then win the Tour Championship and then win. But I just think Justin Thomas has been very consistent over the years, so I got to go with him. Um, I am a fan of him, um, and he's been very good this year. But this is very hard to predict, considering the new format of the Tour Championship. Justin Thomas had the lead last year, starting at 10-under, and then obviously Rory, uh, caught up second, third round, then eventually uh, blew Brooks Kepka away in the fourth round to win after Brooks won the WGC FedEx Invitational last year, um, beating Rory, kind of giving him some motivation. So I like DJ this weekend at the Northern Trust, and I like Justin Thomas to win the FedEx Cup. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think you can count. <clears throat> I mean, it would be hard not to count DJ out, uh, barring his past mishaps, but I mean, sitting 15 under, I think he's two or three ahead of everyone else right now. Two ahead. Uh, two. And then, I mean, if he just continues to be on this tear, I mean, he's no one's stopping him at this point. The only issue that DJ has had in his career is his putter. I mean, he won the Travelers Championship with the new tailor-made uh, trust putters, 
um, which are supposed to look like a truss and architecture. I don't know. Um, I'm not super familiar with it, uh, with that putter, but kind of an interesting design. Uh, but he switched back and forth between that and a spider putter, obviously one of TaylorMade's putters that, you know, when they introduced the spider about four or five years ago, it took the market by storm. Um, kind of like Rory this year, he's been switching back and forth between a spider X and a, a TaylorMade Soto putter. So um, DJ, that's the one thing he consistently switches in his bag is, uh, is the putter. So if the putter can stay hot this weekend, he'll obviously win and he'll be uh, he'd, he'd be one of the favorites to win the FedEx Cup too. And I would agree. It's it's really hard to predict who you think is going to win the FedEx Cup, especially with the way that the format is. You know, just cutting down the field every week. After, you know, during these three three playoff uh, rounds, it's pretty hard to predict. But it's hard to go against Justin Thomas. He's like you said, he's just been so consistent round after round after round for the most part. You know, for the past few years. And he just always seems to find his way to the top somehow. And um, if he starts, I forget what it is. Like you said, if he's like number two or three, it's like eight or six under, I believe. Um, yeah, it's a, if you're, I think it's a, if you're second and third or eight under, uh, fourth, like they have a certain way of doing it. I can't remember. Yeah, I know the leader starts right. at eight and the 30th player in the field starts at, I think, at even or one under. So technically, I kind of like that. Last year was the first year they did that. Um, obviously, after round one, it was Brooks, Xander. Um, I can't remember who the other one was up there. It might have been Justin Thomas, too. And then Brooks kind of took over in the second round, and Rory was just back. And then Rory took over after the third round, and then um, you know Brooks was just behind him, and then Rory was too much in the in the end and, and won the FedEx Cup and, and deserved to win the FedEx Cup. He had a, he had a great year last year. This year has been kind of – and now, obviously, it didn't help him in the three months away at COVID. Um, but going back to the original point, the reason it's hard to predict the FedEx Cup is a lot of times for the Northern Trust and the BMW, they play different golf courses. So the Northern Trust, for example, they played at Liberty National in New Jersey. They played, you know, TPC um, at Boston this year. There's other courses that are going to be in a rotation. Um, the BMW has played at, like, Cog Hill and Medina and Cherry Hill in Denver, Colorado one year, which is kind of cool to see. So... Every year they play a, a different course for these. So it, it, it's really hard because if some of these courses haven't been played for a tour event or major championship in a few years, and a lot of these courses do make changes quite frequently, and there's nothing wrong with it. They're trying to make it tougher for the top level competition of the PGA Tour. It's hard to predict that, uh, just like you said. So, um, but yeah, just have to kind of go with the gut feeling on Justin Thomas. Speaking of making it tougher, did you, I kind of agree with uh, Justin Thomas. He made a comment not too long ago about them changing the balls and I guess like rolling them back or somehow to, to make it so they're not hitting it as far. But I would agree with Justin that it's, you know, there's only a select few guys who are like bombing the heck out of the ball. And even those guys aren't winning every week. I mean, they're, they're doing well, don't get me wrong, but they're not like taking taking the PGA by storm and winning week after week after week. I mean, the, it's paying off for the guys that, you know, can get the ball in the hole the best, basically. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to try to simplify this as much as I can. So last year, the USGA and RNA did a summary of distance, and it was a 15-page report, and some of the players were like, first off, I'm not going to read this because I don't want to read a 15-page manual unless it's, unless it's uh, 
a tournament manual about rules and local rules and all that. So basically they said the USGA and the RNA said that distance, it, distance has increased, which is not a surprise. Technology is better. The ball is better. Uh, players are more like athletes. And we've discussed this in previous podcasts before. Um, and, you know, all those things combine to increase distance. So the thought for the golf course architects and people that have built these golf courses is to build them at the shortest 70 to 7,100 or up to, you know, 77, 78. If we remember a few years ago, Aaron Hills was at 7,800 around there, 77 something. And Brooks Koepka won, which was not a surprise. And he won at 16 under. And that made people like, wow, like, okay, you didn't set that up right. And they've been very critical of Mike Davis setting up golf courses. Next year, they go to Shinnecock, and it was somewhere in the 71. Brooks Koepka wins a plus one, okay? So then that was set up too hard. So I think more people, such as like Matt Kuchar um, and some other players have said, you know what, grow, George Speed, grow the rough up longer. Make it more difficult for players to hit a wedge or an iron out of things, a la PGA Championship, U.S. Open, major championship type of golf. Um, and But there have been some players that have still argued to reduce the ball. Colin Montgomery, who never won a major in his career, that's now on the Champions Tour, um, and won the European Order of Merit, I think, like seven times. Uh, Nick Faldo has kind of made the argument on CBS broadcast and Golf Channel broadcast to roll the ball back. And there have been other players. Um, but like you said, I agree with Justin Thomas. Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, you know, who's who, Camp Champ, they are not winning every week. Camp Champ won at the Safeway this year, the second PGA, second or third PGA Tour event of the year, okay? Bryson hasn't won since the Rocket Mortgage, which was the beginning of last month. Um, DJ hasn't won since the Travelers, which was the second one back in early June. You know, and I agree with Justin Thomas. These issues that the USGA and the RNA, they're getting very specific and they're going after distance. And I think that's a narrow scope and I do not agree with it. Obviously, they're doing driver and driver testing and they've had a couple that players have had high coefficient restitution, which is how, which is, if you have the face and the ball comes off, it's the spring effect is what it's called. So they can have it around 0.830. So that's why most drivers are 460 or less. But I think it's a very narrow scope that the USGA and RNA are operating under. Um, and I, I, I don't agree with it. I think, I think the USGA and RNA should just let it go. And if you want to make golf courses difficult, like the players say, grow the rough, maybe narrow the fairways just slightly, you know, if you're lengthening golf courses, you not saying that the accurate hitters, Colin Morikawa did a nice job at a 7,200-yard course, TPC Harding Park, um, and the rough was up. Now, is that a long course by PGA standards? Absolutely not. It's kind of in the middle nowadays. But he did a nice job of being accurate, and that rough was 3.5 to 4, 4.5 in some places. Um, and, you know, even some long hitters, Bryson DeChambeau had a tie for fourth, but did – is he winning every week? No. Is Brooks Koepka winning every week? No. Is Rory? No. And so I disagree with the argument of the USGA, RNA, and some of these commentators that they need to roll the ball back. I think, like some of these players have said, grow the rough up, maybe make some things a little more difficult um, for players and see what it does. 
yeah, I think that would be even more challenging to see for sure. And it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense to, to obviously it's almost impossible, not impossible, but it's terrible to make the course longer. I mean, that's just more work for the course and all the grounds crew and just everything, but there's no need to, to do that. It's just make it harder in other ways. Exactly like what you said, grow the rough up, narrow the fairways, make the greens harder, just, you know, anything basically just no need to change equipment. It's not clearly what's not the thing that's making people win. No, it's not, it's not making people win. If you link the golf courses, you eliminate half the field already. Kind of like Kepka was talking about with the majors, you eliminate half the field because not saying there are guys that are only hitting at 265, 270. I think most players are at least staying at 275, 280. Okay. Um, there are a lot more players, obviously, hitting it over 300. And obviously, technology and the ball have to do some things with that. But these players are working on their fitness. They're working harder. They're increasing trunk and hip rotation. They're, you know, they're working on their mobility. They're working on their stability. They're working on their power speed. Um, strength, you know, they're working on all these things. And that's why the modern golfer can do a lot more. I mean, there's tons of guys, you know, for, for example, um, there are 460 yard par fours that some of these long guys are hitting driver wedge in, or even three wood, like nine iron wedge in. I mean, if you lengthen the course, you are eliminating because some of these guys can go driver wedge while some of these other guys are going driver five, six, six iron. So they're already at a disadvantage. Um, you know, make them play from the rough. Even if they've got a lob wedge or a sand wedge, it's not, they can play a lot of those shots. They're very good. That's why they're PGA Tour players. But some of those shots are not going to come out the way they want. And, you know, you're trying, I mean, you're trying to get the best field every week of a 130 to 156 players. And the, the winner's going to, be the guy who does most things pretty well. I mean, if you look at the stats on most places, I mean, usually strokes gained off the tee, um, putting, scrambling, you know, all those things. Those players are, are near the top of the top five in all those categories. Um, so I just, like you said, I don't agree with, with lengthening things. I don't agree with throwing the ball back. I think they're just making something out of nothing. And I think they, they just don't get it that the modern golfer is more of an athlete than they were back in the, the 70s and 80s and even 90s until Tiger got there. Going going right off that, why don't we talk a little bit about just what people can do to um, <clears throat> become more of an athlete if they want to improve their golf game. I mean, we've talked about before, like improving power and stuff like that, but um Maybe we can get a little bit more specific or go into those kinds of details. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in the modern golfer nowadays, um, all these guys have different, have different, you know, trainers or different aspects. Okay. Um, so like, for example, Joey D is one of the most famous trainers in South Florida. He trained Brooks Kepka for a little while. He still trains Dustin Johnson, Lexi Thompson, uh, Justin Thomas, all these guys. Um, I know they're doing a series on the PGA tour called the Sea Island Boys. There's a trainer of golf, fitness, and performance down there. Um, I mean, a lot of people get caught up on like, what exercise should I do specifically for golf? And honestly, the exercises that I do 
are, you know, I squat, I deadlift, you know, obviously for lower legs, I do kettlebell swings, you know, I do step ups for lower power. Um, sometimes I do step ups at a slower speed. Sometimes I do it in the fast speed with the high knee to get more plyometric, um, do some side lunges, you know, get in different planes because, um, we're not meant to just move in this plane. We can move in this plane and we can move in a, in a rotational plane. We have three of those planes, um, that some joints are able to do all three, some joints are able to do two and some joints are only able to do one. So, you know, it just all depends. Um, as far as like upper body, I mean, I do some, I do some bench. I do a lot of rows, a lot of pulling, um, face pulls, things like that. It doesn't really have to be anything complicated. Um, you know, obviously if you guys are in an area that has access to a personal trainer or a, a fitness, um, expert or a strength coach, I would highly recommend seeking them out because sometimes they do a free session that I can't speak for all of them. Um, but just mastering basic lifts, squatting, uh, deadlifting, sometimes bench, um, rows, you know, even, even pull-ups or lat pull-downs, you know, vertical pulling, uh, horizontal pulling, horizontal pressing, like bench or push-ups, um, vertical pressing, sometimes some press with dumbbells, you know, I mean, it, there's so many things. And obviously another thing I work on that's very important for golf is the forearm and grip. So I do farmer's carries, plate pinches. Um, I do some wrist extension, uh, in multiple ways, you know, because obviously at impact we're here. So we need strong here. We need strong upper body. So, um, just mastering those, those basic things that I'm talking about and, and just starting off gradual, you know, if you're beginning at workout, I probably go two to three times a week. Once you get better, think about three to four times a week. And then you get better with that four to five. And then kind of the upper echelon is like five to six. Um, I train, you know, five, sometimes six days a week. It depends, but obviously I've been lifting since I'm 13, I'm 35 now. So I have like 22 years of experience. So, um, you know, everybody's going to move at a different pace. So find the optimal for you. Maybe sometimes two times a week really tires you out. So stay with that. Other weeks, you may be able to do three or for the three to four, you know, understand your body, understand things like that. Get, uh, get enough sleep at night, take care of your nutrition, you know, try to limit your stress, things like that. And then your training, uh, will reflect those things. And then if your training is good, you can take that onto the golf course and hopefully that helps you know, get you in better positions, uh, get you a little more power, a little more club head speed, makes you feel more stable through the ball and, uh, you know, prevents offline shots and be more consistent as well. Yeah. The, um, a lot of times you don't have to do anything super sexy in the mm-hmm. gym. I would say a lot of times, you know, we see, we see these guys, um, DJ, Justin and, and, and everyone doing stuff. And they're doing, you know, this super rare slash new exercise that you haven't seen before, which is great and all, but a lot of times it's not what the amateur golfer needs. Mm-hmm. And there was a post that I saw recently. I can't remember. I want to say it was from like Brett Contreras. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. He's a great resource. I love Brett Contreras. Yeah. Uh, anybody in San Diego should go visit the gym. So, yeah. But he said that his clients, get kind of upset with him and he doesn't really care because he doesn't switch up their exercises very much. He sticks with Mm -hmm. the same things, right? I mean, squatting, 
deadlifting. I think you said like lunge variations, yep. you know, pushing and pulling and like, that's all they do. And they just progressively overloads them basically. And yeah, it probably gets boring, but it does its job and they're the basics for a reason. And you know, exactly what you said, you should master, master those basics and just get really good at them before you can even move on to anything, you know, super sexy. Yeah. And there's a principle in strength and conditioning called the specific adaptation to impose demands. So for example, let's say, you know, obviously we have a forward trunk lean at the start of, um, you know, golf swing, you know, we want to keep that, that neutral spine angle or fairly close to a neutral spine angle. I mean, some people may have a little more rounded posture. I mean, obviously you see that with Tommy Fleetwood and obviously the way he strikes his irons is butter. So he doesn't have to change that a whole lot. But in order for us to be comfortable with that, we got to train those positions. So, you know, variations of deadlift, kettlebell swings, you know, stuff like that. You get yourself into those specific positions. And then when it comes time to take it on the golf course or, or do some other athletic things, you feel comfortable being at, in that position for repetitive motion time after time after time because you've trained that pattern in order to understand how to build up the motor control, how to build the coordination while obviously layering the strength um, and the foundation on top of it. The other thing I would say is that golf.com did a, like a little 10 minute video that people should go look up on YouTube. And it was Joey D when Brooks Kepka used to train with him and Dustin Johnson. So in, in the beginning, you know, they ride bikes in the morning to warm up and then they were doing some paddle boarding. They get to the gym, they ride basically a stationary cycle for a little bit. Then they do med ball tosses against he's got targets on the wall. Then they do a straight bar deadlift. Um, then it looked like almost like a Romanian deadlift, which is slight bend in the knees. And then they do a trap bar deadlift. Um, then they did the Versa climber, which you, you know, you go up like this and legs move. Um, and then I think they did some other things and it, and it was basic stuff that, that Joey D knew because he's been trained golfers for a long time. And he knows they don't have to necessarily be, uh, sexy exercises, but he's building that specific adaptation to impose demands. So, you know, those guys can go on the golf course and, and do what they do as professionals. Yep. I mean, we probably only see probably the 1% of what they're doing of whatever gets posted online. Mm -hmm. And we never really get to see the other 99% of what they're doing, which you had mentioned too, is a lot of uh, recovery and nutrition and well, sleep, sleep, which goes into recovery. Um, But they are taking care of their body all the time. And I mean, it's, it's all of that feeds into you as a person and just being overall able to perform. And when you're a PGA tour player, you have to be able to perform at the highest level at all times. Uh, I mean, if you want to make the cut and make some money, that's, that's what you need to do. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing. And everybody has a different way of doing it because, you know, somebody like Roy McIlroy, for example, he's married, doesn't have any kids, but then there's Webb Simpson that's married that has five kids but he still finds time to fit, you know, family time, golf, fitness, um, taking care of his body, you know, things like that. The same with Rory in a, in a, in a different manner. Um, obviously some of those guys are, are pretty well off and some of them do have gyms or training facilities they put in their homes. Um, but some of them still, you know, go train with guys like Joey D or, you know, just, just anybody depending on where they live um, throughout the country. Uh, and they're just 
like you said, I mean, regardless of what it is, if they're a high-level college golfer, amateur golfer, um, LPGA, Champions Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, European Tour, Challenge Tour, um, PGA Tour, PGA Tour Latin America, PGA, PGA Tour China, PGA Tour McKenzie Tour in Canada. I mean, all these guys are trying to play at a high level, so they have to optimize every single part of what they do outside of the golf course and even on the golf course in order from some people that's all they see on TV is like, Oh my gosh, you know, Dustin Johnson won again. Well, behind the scenes, he's doing all that work. I mean, it's kind of the iceberg theory. You only see the success and, you know, things like that. And there's so much at, at the bottom that you don't see. You know? Yeah. And I, and for anyone who may want to like, if there's any, younger junior golfers who are listening or anything along those lines. If you don't think you need to do those things, you're definitely wrong. You, mm-hmm. cause just like Andrew just said, there's so many of those other tours that aren't the PGA tour that everyone's just trying to, to one stay on. And then they're trying to also get their tour card. There's easily 10 people that are doing the same thing that you're doing, if not more to, to earn that card. So, do everything that you can in your power now and make it a habit and just become disciplined and it will pay off in the long run. And that can go for anything. It doesn't have to be golf, but if you're striving for anything, I mean, just someone else is out there that's doing the same thing you are and trying to be the best at whatever you're trying to be the best at. And if you're not yeah. taking it serious, it's, it's not going to go through. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, stay dis- disciplined, but have fun with that. I saw a quote this week from Rory McIlroy that I thought was great. And, uh, Never let golf influence your attitude. Let your attitude influence your golf. Um, and I, and I, you know, obviously he's at the top of his game. He's kind of had a, a not really great year by his standards, but you know, he's he's been diving into self help books and diving into just being present and mindfulness and trying to stay away from social media and, and things like that and trying to have a fun with golf and still play with integrity and things like that. And I think. Um, that's also good to remember. Nothing wrong with working hard, discipline, things like that, but have some fun, relax. Um, you know, obviously, if you're playing in a big pressure tournament, like a lot of these people we mentioned, whether it's mini tour, PGA tour, or even high level junior amateur, I mean, try to have fun with it. Don't take it too seriously because sometimes some of the worst rounds you play, you get tensed up and you, you try too hard. Sometimes with golf, you, you can't try too hard like you can in other sports. So, um, it's a hard balance, but, you know, still work hard at it, but still have fun with it and remember why you're doing it in the first place. Yeah, one thing I saw recently, this is like two different posts. One was saying, someone said that golfers never seem to uh, really relax and celebrate. They always seem to be pretty serious. And um, I saw, I forget who it was, I guess it was golf.com, like golf magazine. They were interviewing players and asking them to like rate themselves to see how they did this season. And I just remember uh, Victor Hovland. He was just like, you know, I'll give myself an A. First year on tour, I won. I won. I won one uh, uh, weekend, and uh, you know, not too bad. I've had a couple of top tens or whatever he said. And he was just like, yeah, you know what? First year, I'll give myself an A. It's pretty good. Well, yeah, and, and there's kind of a difference. Number one, I love Hovland, Wolf, Morikawa. They are the present, and the future of golf. Um, obviously right now, if you had to say one is doing better than the others, it's probably Colin because he's won two events and, and one major, but honestly, though, all three of those guys are fun. So I, I love Victor Hovland state because he's a, you know, he's basically a rookie. 
on the PGA Tour. And he obviously plays the European Tour because he wants to be in the Ryder Cup next year, uh, being from Norway and things like that. Um, but then you got to look at a guy like like Tiger or DJ or Justin Thomas or some of the established veterans. They may not rate themselves an A, but that's fine because you know they're trying to be the best. They're trying to be number one. They're trying to win a major or multiple majors or you know Tiger chase down Jack's records. So they may not grade themselves, but you know, I mean, I, I love Victor Hovland's take, so I have no problem with that. But you know, if you look at some of the top level players, they would probably rate themselves differently, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think on there, there was Justin Thomas and he gave himself, it's like a B minus, I think, or B something along those lines. He was like, you know, I did pretty well, but just not, not to my standards. Well, he had a good start to the year, obviously went in the CJ cup, um, then kind of tailored off and then won the century tour of champions and then played well for a little bit and then didn't win for a while until the, you know, kind of recently. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's, yeah. he's going to rate himself that way because he almost demands perfection, not always, but, you know, he wants to be the best and obviously win the FedEx Cup and win majors and, you know, things like that. Sure. One, uh, I guess one last thing we'll go through, only because this happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to you uh, in terms of, like, working as a in a PT office and working with patients. But I was, this is more of like a PSA for anyone who's listening, who's getting, who's not in the healthcare world, but is receiving healthcare, which I'm sure you are because you're a person. Um, I was messaging someone, he's a golfer online, and he was saying that he was having uh, like foot and calf pain. And I asked him a little bit more about his symptoms. And he was saying that he was also getting some symptoms in his buttock and his low back. And his doctor had said to him, this is, this is what his, his doctor said. So his words said that it's his Achilles tendon and it basically just needs to snap and he has to have surgery for it to get better. So first of all, if you are a patient and you go to a doctor, it doesn't even have to be a, your doctor. It could be another physical therapist. I don't care who it is, but if anyone tells you that a body part needs to basically snap or break and that you need to have surgery run far away in the other direction as fast as you possibly can, because there's nothing more upsetting that basically someone saying that you have to have surgery and your body needs to break for it to get better. Very rarely do you need to have surgery for something to get better. Obviously there's traumas and kind of red flag situations, which would require surgery um, for things to get better. But if you're just having pain that's been there for however long and there's no red flags or, uh, any significant trauma that would need to be repaired immediately, you don't necessarily need to have surgery whatsoever. Um, and the guy was never referred to physical therapy or someone else. He re has received, of course, three cortisone injections, all of which have done nothing. And, um, all I did was tell him that, you know, without me evaluating you, it's probably, it could be potentially just one thing. Um, I would, like I told him that I could probably put a good amount of money down and say that it's his back or it could be a combination of things very potentially. And all I did was give him one thing. Cause I just took a guess. I didn't even ask him anything else. I said, why don't you do like a prone press up, like a lumbar extension basically. And let's just see if that helps. That's just my hunch. And he was like, my back feels a whole bunch better. 
He's like, but my foot still is bothering me. I was like, all right, well then maybe it's two different things. Hard, still hard for me to tell, but maybe it's two different things. And I'm sure that you've come across situations where maybe patients have told you, you know, crazy things that their doctor has told them or what they need to have done, but kind of what do you have to say about this, that situation and, or just like any other situation that's similar to that, that you've encountered that you can like spread some words of wisdom to people that, you know, don't have any medical or healthcare knowledge or background. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times I feel like people just take the doctor's word because they're the doctor and they're like, well, they must be right. So, but they end up ultimately having, you know, unneeded procedures and spending lots of unneeded monies. Yeah. And honestly, I've, I've heard that we have a, a group of orthopedic surgeons up the street um, and they're very, they're varying ages. One is in his early forties and he's really good. And a lot of patients that we've seen from him um, don't have problems with it. Um, we have one that's kind of in his mid fifties. We used to have the NBA G league team for the Phoenix suns up here. Um, they were called the Northern Arizona suns. Um, they're moving down to the Valley because obviously that makes more sense and I don't blame them, but he was the team doctor. So this guy has a really restrictive protocol for his shoulders. Um, so I'll just throw something out there. Usually with the rotator cuff, you'll wear a sling for about four weeks. This is on average. Um, I'm not saying every doctor does this, but in my area, this is what I've seen. Um, four weeks, then they can do active assist. So active assist is like I can lift it up and then either assistance for myself or with them with an object such as a dowel or whatever five weeks. Um, and then usually sometimes six, seven, eight weeks, they can do active range of motion and then start strengthening around week 10 to 12. This doctor will not let you do active assistive range of motion. And it has to be on your back or what's called supine until week seven. And so patients will go in at week four, he'll move it around and he'll go, why is it so stiff? What is, what is the problem here? And it's like, well, first off your protocol is too restrictive. So, you know, and second off, he told our clinic owner that he has 100% success rate, which I call bull crap on, but, you know. And then there's another doc in that practice that's in his late 70s, and he's a doctor, obviously went to medical school, has his PhD, I can't remember what. But he said, I can look at a patient in two minutes and diagnose them. And a lot of times if it's a hip thing, he thinks it's a low back or, you know, so... People watching this, number one, do not take medical advice from Instagram people. Okay, that is just general advice. Please seek out a qualified healthcare medical professional. Um, sometimes I've done caveats on my videos on that on Instagram. Uh, find somebody that knows you, that is qualified, that has experience treating people, um, whether you're trying to get back to a hobby such as what we're talking about, golf, or just regular activities, or just daily stuff. Uh, just find somebody that, that knows. Number two, like Joe said, if your healthcare provider says your Achilles has to snap or you have to stop lifting or things like that, you are more than welcome to seek a second opinion. And obviously, I know insurance, that's a whole nother discussion. But if your insurance covers it, go do it. Because sometimes some of these doctors have high volumes in the clinic and they only see patients for 5, 10, 15. They take a look at the MRI or the X-ray or they just take a look at you. And it's like you said, oh, it's your Achilles. Like you said, with kind of that, that foot calf pain, that radiculopathy, sure, it could be the back, but it could be a number, bunch of other things. Do I know without seeing you? Absolutely not. So 
that's kind of the thing we're talking we're talking about is if you do not see a healthcare professional and you decide to kind of go it on your own or Google some exercise information or Google what Dr. Google says, sometimes it may work, sure, but sometimes it doesn't. We had a lady come in one time that I was seeing that she had bilateral plantar fasciitis. So it's a piece of tissue under the heel that runs across the foot. Um, sometimes it's referred to as the plantar aponeurosis. Um, and this lady said, I tried exercises on the internet for plantar fasciitis for six, plantar fasciitis for six months, and it did not work. So finally, she went and saw a podiatrist that referred her to PT. And then after a couple months, she ended up getting better. Okay. Does that mean that every story has a happy ending? We can help everybody out? Absolutely not. But please find trusted healthcare professionals that do not use scare tactics what's called nocebo, the language like Joe's talking about, your Achilles needs to stab, or that does things that like, oh, I, I just recently did this and there's not a lot of research, randomized placebo-controlled trials. So level one, the top level research, I just saw an opinion from another doctor and I figured why not try it? You know, healthcare is complicated enough and the body is complicated enough. So please, 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 rely on individuals that have training in this and that can see you and that know what you're doing and that will empower you build confidence and keep your independence in this. But yeah, I've, I've seen quite a few that have either been scared by the doctor, scared by another PT clinic, maybe, you know, there are good and bad. There are good and bad doctors. There are good and bad physical therapists. There are good and bad chiropractors. There are good and bad massage therapists. Um, so it, it doesn't matter. Any profession, they're good and bad. So seek out the good um, in the healthcare because we really try to do our jobs and we love what we do and we try helping people as much as we can uh, to the best of our abilities or referring people to um, other providers that are trustworthy and that can help them as much as they can too. Yes. And I would say just a, a quick way for you to maybe figure out who is a good one and who is a bad one in terms of like healthcare provider is one, if they work with you in terms of like what you're trying to achieve and your goals, or they just kind of push those to a side or they don't really listen to you very much or what you have to say. Uh, the next thing would be one, are you getting better? And yes, like Andrew just said, can we get everyone better? Not always. Right. Um, there are times when I've worked with patients and clients that I just can't, just can't seem to get them better. And it's unfortunate and I feel bad. Um, but if you're not making some sort of sign of progress in, you know, three to four weeks, especially if you're doing the same thing over and over again and the, and the provider has not changed their, uh, technique or whatever they're doing to kind of help you get better, I would go seek out someone else. Um, those would be my quick tidbits on like trying to help you figure out who is or who isn't a good or a bad provider. Um, cause I know that could be hard and you're just trusting them for their word. Um, but use those as a little bit of a guide to maybe help you try to figure out who is good and who isn't. But I would, you know, if you're not happy with kind of your, uh, treatment or kind of what a doctor said or a diagnosis or what they think you should do you're, you're the consumer. You can go seek out another, you know, another opinion, just like Andrew said. Now, again, like he also mentioned, 
that also has to deal with insurance. And like you said, that's a whole other discussion, but I would say it would be in your best benefit and in your best interest to go seek out another opinion if you're not super pleased or happy with, with any of those things. Also kind of to say that not every clinic depends on insurance because they're private cash pay clinics. Um, and some individuals are fortunate enough that uh, individuals can do that. But sometimes we're talking to this kind of a generalization that a lot of clinics still operate with insurance. There's still some that operate a lot with insurance, but allow self-pay. Um, there's some that are kind of 50-50. And then there's ones that only accept uh, uh, cash pay as well. Um, but kind of the other thing is, does this person understand your long-term goals, short-term goals, whatever? Um, whether it's to get back to golf or to get back to lifting or to get back to hiking, walking, biking, you know, do they meet you where you're at and modify and adjust accordingly? They don't just say, you know, don't do this for four or five weeks. Okay. Sometimes they'll say, all right, we may need to back off on the volume for a week or two or three weeks, but I don't want you to stop doing this or find variations that work um, that help them keep pain either relatively pain-free or, or minimal. Um, Cause a lot of times, you know, people think if I have a little bit of pain, should I exercise? And, and there's a lot of research showing that yes, it is not harmful to exercise. Like if you use the pain scale from like zero to basically a four out of 10, um, it's just when it gets above that level, we need to modify and adjust. Number two, like you said, are you getting better? Physical therapy or anything in healthcare is sometimes a lot of trial and error. So we try it. Sometimes we fail. We're all humans. We make mistakes, hopefully what's called not dangerous mistakes, like not re-injuring somebody, not hurting somebody. Obviously with, you know, other medical providers, not causing, you know, significant lifelong disability or damage or obviously killing somebody. But fortunately, I'm not in a situation like that. But understanding what the goals are. How can I make you better? How can we keep you doing what you're doing in a modified or adjusted way? And how can we keep you independent and empowered? Because you may have not been asking the right questions, but you have the answers. It's just teaching you, okay, this is how I would frame this, or this is how I would do this. And getting that light bulb for a patient like, oh my gosh, I knew that. I just didn't know how to execute it or operate or things like that too. And there you go. If anyone has any questions or concerns about any of their issues that they're having, feel free to always send us a message um, through Instagram is probably the easiest or Facebook. Um, and I can link those things in, in the show notes if, if you do, um, or if you need some help trying to get some guidance on trying to find a better PT or something like that in your area, we can always help you out there too. I'm sure we have, I know I have a good amount of contacts throughout the country. I'm sure Andrew does as well. Um, but yeah, we'd be more than willing to help you out. Obviously we're limited with what we can do just through message, but anything to make you or help you get better is always, uh, kind of what we're up to do and up for. Um, but yeah, we'll probably end it there. Do you have any last parting words or thoughts before we head out on this episode? No, I'm looking forward to, uh, next month. We'll just have to, obviously it's, uh, Folks, we really appreciate you guys watching along and following. Um, don't hesitate to put questions or information or contribute to this so we can continue getting rolling, whether it's uh, questions or information for us on the monthly mash or people that Joe can put on the podcast. He's always looking for 
um, other people that are, that are golf related. Um, you know, I've sent him some people that have been really cool uh, that follow on Instagram. If you know somebody that you think is somebody worthy of being on the podcast, you think somebody that would have a great perspective or something that Joe and I have not heard, do not hesitate to nominate them because that is what we are here for to put information out in the public domain. So you guys feel like uh, that this is worth your while, whether in the group that Joe's running on Facebook or Instagrams, or even just the podcast that he's doing. Yeah. And they don't need to be anyone special. I mean, mm-hmm. I've thought about just interviewing regular everyday amateur golfers as well. So if like someone wants to be interviewed, uh, let's go for it. Cause I'm sure there's stuff to talk about, especially some sort of injuries or, or what's, kind of stopping their game or anything along those lines. Um, I think just hearing that aspect from an amateur is always good for other amateurs to hear as well. Um, But yeah, appreciate everyone listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Again, this is a newer installment of the Healthy Golf Podcast where Andrew and I will be talking about health, fitness, wellness, what's going on in the golf world. And we want to answer your questions. So like at the end of the podcast, we had mentioned if you have any suggestions for any guests that you would like to have on the show, or if you have any questions related to health, fitness, golf, just a random question that you want answered, submit it to us. You can do that on the Healthy Golf Facebook group, and I could put that in the show notes for the link. Or you can email me at joe at puredrivephysio.com. That's P-U-R-E-D-R-I-V-E-P-H-Y-S-I-O.com. And that will also be in the show notes. As always, I am uh, endlessly grateful for you downloading and listening to the show uh, when there's lots of other things that you could be doing in your everyday life. If you please haven't already done so, please subscribe. And I would really appreciate it if you could give this a share. Um to anyone that you think would really benefit from listening. Also, please rate and review the show. That just helps the show get found more so more people can benefit from everything that we're putting out. And that would mean the world to me because I just want to help everyone be the best person they can possibly be. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you again for joining me on this week. Keep working hard. Keep striving for excellence. And keep those goals in sight because when you feel great, you golf great. 